full 10:30 service. How are we doing? We good? Yes. Well, it's good to see you guys. I'm glad to be back. Uh, I've been gone the past couple of weeks, and um, it's been a nice break. But it's always nice to be back home as well. And so, uh, man, I, I've been excited to be back with you guys this morning, hanging out, teaching, learning together. So. Uh, we'll get to all that stuff in a moment, but I, I just wanted to stop and say a couple things about our transition. If you have not been here or you've been here just living under a rock, um, you may not have heard that we've been transitioning here in Cartersville to uh, an autonomous, independent church once again, uh, operating separately, existing separately from Westridge down in Paulding. Well, uh, July 1st was our goal, and we made it to July 1st, and I am proud to say and happy to say that as of July 1, we are now our own church operating independently. <laughs> Westridge is awesome. So again, man, thanks for your prayers. Thanks for uh, giving. Thanks for everything that you guys have done to, to bring us to that point. There's still a lot that we haven't shared with you guys that we're going to be sharing later this month and on into August concerning name and branding and strategy and vision for the future. So um, we still get to do all the fun stuff over the next several weeks, so stay tuned for that. Uh, right now on the web, we do have just a single web page set up at westridge.com so that you guys here in Cartersville can kind of keep up with all that's going on uh, while we're building our brand new website. So if you log on to westridge.com slash Cartersville, we have a page there where you can watch all the latest messages for free or listen to them anytime you want. Um, there's a link there where you can give online if you're not doing that to this specific location. Um, and then you can connect with us there on Facebook and things like that just to keep up with all the latest news. So check that out, westridge.com slash Cartersville. All right? Well, let's do this. Let's get our Bibles and let's go to Matthew chapter 7 together. Matthew chapter 7. We've been in this series on happiness called If Only over the past several weeks, and today we're in week six of this series, and we're going to get to Matthew 5, the passage that we've been studying in a moment, but I want to read a passage from Matthew 7 as we get started today, and in my opinion, this passage is one of the most terrifying passages of Scripture in the whole Bible, and the crazy thing is Jesus is the one talking about it. He's the one speaking here, so Matthew 7 uh, verses 21 and 23. We're going to read this together. And if you don't have a Bible or a device with an app on it, you can feel free to follow along up on the screens. Uh, I've got to get back to my first one. Here we go. All right, we ready? Here's what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So let me explain this for a moment. Jesus in this passage is referring to the day when he's going to come back to the earth for the second time as God and King. And he is going to judge every person who's ever lived on the face of the planet. And he said on that day there are going to be many people, right? Not just a handful, not just a few, but many people who stand in front of him, call him Lord, and then make a case to get into heaven, get into his kingdom that sounds something like this. Uh, well, Jesus, I've done a lot of amazing things in your name and on your behalf. I've cast out demons in your name. 
I've performed miracles in your name. I've done amazing acts of service in your name. Right? Like, that's crazy for me because I'm sitting here going, it's hard for me to get out of bed on Sunday mornings at times to come and teach. And there are people one day who have done miracles in the name of Jesus. And Jesus' response to many of these people is going to be, I I never knew you. Like, you did a lot of stuff in my name and a lot of stuff on my behalf, but we never had a relationship. I had a lot of your actions but I never had your affection. You see, this passage is insanely terrifying for me because of what it implies. And here's what it implies. It implies that there are a lot of people in our world and maybe even in a lot of our churches who believe with all of their hearts that they are living lives that please God. They believe with all of their hearts that they are doing all the right things to get them into the kingdom of heaven one day while neither of those things are true. And you see, this implication from this passage should raise a huge question in all of our minds. And and here's the question. If there are people out there just killing it, right? Miracles. I mean, uh, casting demons, amazing acts on behalf of Jesus. And they're not getting into his kingdom one day. Then how in the world does a person get in? And how can you and I, probably a lot of us, just normal, average people, like how can you and I live with a confidence each day that when we see Jesus at the end of our lives, it's going to be a good day for us and not a really, really bad day for us? Well, if you go back to Matthew 5, the passage we've been studying, that crowd listening to Jesus, they were all asking these same questions. It's the same crowd that was listening to Jesus teaching Matthew 7. They wanted to know, how can we be sure we're getting in the kingdom? How can we be sure that when it comes to heaven that we are in? How can we be sure that God loves us and accepts us? All of these questions that they were wrestling with were a direct result of the spiritual climate in which they found themselves during this time in history. Uh, I told you earlier in the series, during the time of Jesus, there's a group of men on the face of the earth called the Pharisees. And they are experts at all things religion, right? They knew the Bible better than anybody. They were the most moral people in society. They were killing it when it came to all things church and religion. Um, I told you earlier in this series in week one, if you were here, the story from Luke 18 about this Pharisee who went into the temple. And you remember his prayer? It was, God, thank you I'm not like everybody else around me. Thank you I'm not like other men. Thank you I'm not like the tax collector in the temple with me right now. And then what did he do? He started telling God why he should be impressed with him. God, I give, I pray, I fast, I'm pretty amazing. Look at all my external actions. God, I'm killing it for you. So all these people that would have been listening to Jesus in Matthew 5, this was the type of religious attitude they had to deal with on a daily basis. They constantly found themselves feeling the need to prove themselves to God through following rules, through performing external actions. And then they would look at the Pharisees, the expert guys, and they'd start comparing themselves. And then they would start thinking, I don't think we're measuring up. I mean, they lived each day not in the freedom of knowing God loves me, God accepts me. They lived every day looking at their behavior, feeling very anxious and very guilty because they weren't good are as good as the men, the Pharisees, that they were comparing themselves to. And again, they were left asking, how can we be sure we're in? How can we be sure that we're getting into the kingdom of heaven one day? And it's very timely, right? Jesus shows up, 
just the right time, and he gives a simple statement that answers their question. He, he doesn't show up, and he doesn't say, blessed are those whose external actions earn the love of God and earn entrance into his kingdom, right? You know what he says? Look at Matthew 5, 8 with me. Here's what Jesus says to this crowd. He says, blessed are who? The pure in heart. He goes inward, right? He bypasses external actions, and he says, blessed, happy, fortunate are those people who are pure in heart, because those are the people who one day are going to see God. With this simple statement, Jesus takes this pharisaical way of thinking, this pharisaical religious way of practicing, and he turns it on its head. He literally looks at his crowd and he says, I want you to know that outward actions do not matter much to God when it comes to his acceptance and entrance into his kingdom. He says, I want you to understand that God could care less about your actions if he does not want your heart. If he doesn't have your heart. And here's the thing, it's crazy. These people listening to Jesus in Matthew 5, they shouldn't have been surprised with this statement Because Jesus wasn't really saying anything new here. He was actually saying something really, really old. Something that God repeatedly told them through the prophets and and through the Old Testament writers time and time again. Right? I'll prove it to you. I could read passages all day, but I'll give you three Old Testament scriptures that point to the same truth that Jesus was pointing to in Matthew 5. Look at this. Psalm 73.1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are what? Pure in heart. Um, Look at 1 Samuel with me. Chapter 16, verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on what? The heart. Um, Psalm 24, 1 through 4. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell in it. For he's founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Listen, he who has clean hands and a what? A pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So again, the point that Jesus is making in Matthew 5 is the same point that God tried to make over and over again in the Old Testament, which is that God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. He could care less about our actions if he doesn't have our hearts. He could care less about our actions if he does not have our affections. What is required for God's acceptance? What's required for entrance into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, one day? Well, according to Jesus and the rest of the Bible, the only thing that's required is a pure heart. And again, according to Jesus, because we're teaching happiness in this series... The only way that you can know true and lasting happiness in this life is by having a pure heart. That's it. So here's the thing that I want to ask you this morning to wrestle with in light of this truth. I just want you to wrestle with this question. How is your heart today? How's your heart today? Like what's going on inside of you? And you and God are the only ones that can answer that question. How is your heart today. Now, I know what some of us want to default to, right? Like some of us, if I pass the microphone around, like you'd stand up and go, uh, James, let me tell you about my heart, right? Uh, I come to church all the time. 
I'm doing community makeover. I serve. I just started giving. I work with the homeless. Right? Like, if I ask you that question, your default is, let me tell you about all my external actions. And while all those actions are great, they still do not answer the question I'm asking you. I'm asking, how is your heart? Like, if God is concerned with the condition of our hearts... At some point, all of us have to stop talking about external actions, and we have to start looking inward, and we have to ask ourselves, what's going on inside of me? Church, how is your heart this morning? If you're still unsure on how to really answer that question, I want to help you answer it with greater clarity by explaining this verse, Matthew 5.8, in a little greater detail, okay? Um, That word that Jesus uses for heart in Matthew 5, 8. It's the Greek word cardia. And the Jewish people believed that the cardia, the heart, was the center of a person's being. Like they viewed the heart as the source of a person's feelings and emotions. They viewed the heart as the center of a person's ability to apply logic and reason. They also viewed the heart as the center of a person's will or ability to make choices. If you were here back in January when we did our Simplexity series, we looked at Proverbs 4.23 in which Solomon tells us that we need to guard our hearts above all else. And do you remember why? He says, because out of the heart flows the springs of life. In other words, for the Jewish people, they believed that everything that flowed out of a person behavior-wise was a clear reflection of the condition of that person's heart. Now, that word pure in Matthew 5.8. It simply means to cleanse from filth. It's a reference to something that's unadulterated, unalloyed, unmixed. So here's what Jesus is basically saying in this verse. He's saying happy is that person who is unmixed in their thinking, their will, their emotions. He's saying happy is that person who is single-minded in their devotion to God above everything else in life. Happy is that person who, when it comes to their motives, their actions, their thinking, the way they speak, the way they treat others, are focused on honoring God above all else. Happy is the person who is pure in heart. So let me ask you again. In light of that, how is your heart? Is it unmixed? Are you devoted to Jesus above everything else in life? Or um, is your heart pulled in a lot of different directions by a lot of different things? Are there many other things in life that you could look at right now this morning and say, I love that more than Jesus. I'm more devoted to that than I am to Jesus. There are a lot of other things that get more attention and more affection than Jesus gets. Or is it true of you that your motivation for waking up every day is to live a life that honors Jesus, that's glorifying the God, that's good for other people? Is everything about you founded on and dependent on his honor, his glory, and you advance? Advancing his kingdom in this world. How is your heart? What's going on inside of you? See, Matthew 5 8 is one of those verses that forces every single one of us into the room to be honest about who and what we're truly devoted to in this life. Now, listen, if you're sitting here and you hear me ask that question, and your response right now is uh, when you put it like that, I would have to say my heart's not great. My my heart's not in a great place. A lot of other things in life more important to me than honoring God. A lot of other things in life more important to me than honoring Jesus and making him known to people who need him. 
here's all I want to say to you. Man, you can fake that about you all day long, right? I think it's easy for us to put on a show for one another and to try and cover up bad hearts with good behavior. Like, man, you can keep coming to church and you can give and you can serve and do all the right things and community makeover and serve the homeless and all that stuff and cover up the fact that inside of you something is desperately wrong. But again, I just want to remind you that none of your external actions will matter to God if he does not have your heart. He wants your heart. So church, how is your heart? Man, if it's bad, I just want to answer some questions for you today. The question I want to answer is this. How in the world do you become pure in heart? How do you wake up as that person who truly is single-minded in your devotion to Jesus? How can you be that person who knows true happiness and joy in this life, knowing that happiness hangs on purity, right? And purity is something that all of us need because we understand that God wants people with pure hearts, and those are the people that are going to get his kingdom one day. How do we become those people? Well, we're going to talk about two types of purity uh, to try and answer that question today. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this stuff down, all right? Uh, the first type of purity I want us to talk about is positional purity. Positional purity. Positional purity has everything to do with how God sees us as people. Positional purity is how we appear positionally before God. What does he see when he looks at you, and what does he see when he looks at me? And I just need you to understand positional purity. This is not something you and I can ever pull off on our own. We can't come to church enough. We can't be good enough people. We can't follow enough rules to make ourselves positionally pure before God. Instead, positional purity is given to us as a gift by God when we exercise faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Now, let me explain this. We talk about this all the time here at Westridge, right? And for really good reason. Because there is nothing better than we can talk about than this news I'm about to share again. Like we believe that Jesus Christ, that he's God. And that 2,000 years ago, he came and lived among us in the flesh as a man. And he lived a pure, perfect life. A life that none of us have been able to live in this room. And at the end of his life, he went to a cross and he laid down his life in our place for our sins, taking your punishment and mine from God for what we deserved as being imperfect, impure people. And three days later, what did he do? He rose from the dead to conquer sin, death, and hell on behalf of anyone who would put their faith in him as God's Savior and Lord. So positional purity hangs on a decision. You see, when you and I come before God and we exercise faith and we believe in what Jesus has done for us, we come to a place in life where we go, you know what? I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I need forgiveness of sins. Jesus can give me that. And we come before God and accept his gift of salvation found in Jesus. Here's what Jesus does for us. He takes all of our sin, all of our impurity off of us, and he credits to us his righteousness, his perfection, his purity, his sinlessness. Absolutely insane to think about, right? That Jesus is willing to trade straight up your sinfulness for his sinlessness. Like he wants to exchange you straight up, no strings attached, his purity for all of your impurity. And then what he wants to do next is he wants to bring you before God. 
and put you before the God of the universe and say, look at what I've done for so-and-so. I've made him pure. And God forever sees you as a pure person because of Jesus. I mean, it's insane, right, that you and I can live our lives every day as sinful people, yet if we've trusted in Jesus, God sees us as sinless people. This is positional purity. You can't do it on your own. God does it for you through Jesus when you exercise faith in him. So what that means for some of us sitting in the room is if we're here and we've never accepted Jesus as our Savior, you have to start with that decision, right? Like if you're out in this world looking for joy and happiness and contentment and purpose in life, I just want to tell you, you cannot bypass purity in the pursuit of happiness. And because purity hangs on Jesus, you cannot bypass Jesus in your pursuit of happiness and joy in life. You have to start by coming to Jesus and accepting his gift of making you pure, giving you a pure heart in the sight of God. You have to start there. All of us have to start there. Now, the next type of purity that I want to tell you about is practical purity. Practical purity, and you need to write this down if you're taking notes, Practical purity always follows positional purity. Practical purity always follows positional purity. Let me tell you what practical purity is, all right? Practical purity is simply you and I living out on a daily basis what is true about us as it relates to our position before God. So what that means is this. In other words... Practical purity means that our behavior, our lifestyle, actually reflects the type of person that God has made us to be through Jesus. It means that the way we act, the way we speak, the decisions we make, the way we treat people around us all reflect and point back to the truth that Jesus has made us pure people with pure hearts and he's put us in the sight of God and God forever sees us as pure, just as Jesus as pure. It means that if Jesus truly has saved you and forgiven you of sin and given you his righteousness, that your life on a daily basis should reflect that that is true about you. Now, before we move on and I kind of explain practical purity a little bit more, let me just dispel a myth that a lot of people buy into and believe. Um, And these are people outside of church, inside of church, all right? There are people in our world, and maybe this is you this morning, There are people that truly believe that they can have positional purity before God. So in other words, God can love me. God can accept me. I can have his kingdom one day. And they refuse to believe that practical purity has anything to do with that. So in other words, they think God can love me. God can accept me. And I can just kind of live and do whatever I want. That mindset of I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm loved, I'm accepted by God, and it doesn't matter if practical purity, behavior, lifestyle follows that, man, it is a lie, and the Bible tears that type of belief apart time and time again. And I could go and I could show you this in several places, but uh, there's one passage, it's one of my favorites from all the scripture, found in 1 John 3, that just makes logical sense to me, Right? Here's what the Bible says, basically, in 1 John 3, 2 and 3. It says that there's coming a day, right, where Jesus is going to come back. And we don't know what that day is going to be like yet. But all we know, for those of us who know him, is that we're going to become like him. We're going to be just like Jesus because we're going to see him as he is. And then 1 John 3, 3 goes on and says, anybody who has this hope in them, this hope of seeing Jesus one day, do you know what they do? They purify themselves. Why? 
because Jesus is pure. That makes logical sense to me. I'll tell you why. Um, Because when you and I prepare to do something, go somewhere, don't we get ready for what it is we're getting ready to do so that when we get there, like, we're we're ready to roll? A couple of examples. My family and I, we were just at the beach a couple weeks ago. And uh, we travel with a two-year-old now, so there is a lot of preparation involved in that. That might tell me how much stuff you had to pack with a kid before we had one. Um, Caught me by surprise a little bit, I won't lie. But So, man, we're going to the beach. So we get all the beach bags ready, the towels, the sunscreen. We pack carloads of our daughter's stuff, right, to take with us so that when we get to the beach, we can enjoy the beach. We have everything we need. Makes sense, right? Uh, We were supposed to go camping uh, for a couple days this weekend for Fourth of July with some friends of ours until the rain decided that we didn't need to go. And so we stayed home. But in preparation for that trip, man, I made sure tent was ready. I went and bought a couple of battery-operated fans so I could sleep in that tent in July. I don't know why people go camping in July, but we were about to be those people. We had made plans for food, um, all this stuff. We wanted to be prepared so that when we got to the campsite, we were ready to be there. Well, the Bible's just telling us the same thing is logically true, should be logically true, when we think about what's going to happen after our lives on this earth are over. We're going to go and we're going to see Jesus. And Jesus is pure. And Jesus is perfect. And the way you get ready to see a pure and perfect person at the end of your life is not by living like hell while you're here on the earth. Right? It's by every day waking up single-minded in your devotion to Him and pursuing purity knowing I am on my way to meet a pure person. And when I get there, man, I sure want to be ready for that day. Right? So if you're here believing, like, I can just live however I want, and man, no, you can't. You've got to wrestle that, that lie down to the ground, and you've got to do something with it. Because, man, if you know Jesus, your lifestyle, your behavior should reflect what he's done for you and who he is in your life. Now, two parts to practical purity, all right, that I want to make you aware of. And the first part is preventative. What I mean by that is this, is that you and I should, as followers of Jesus, be waking up each day and putting into practice some things that prevent us from slipping into impurity, slipping into sinfulness, slipping into a lifestyle that dishonors Jesus rather than honors him. And listen, I don't have time to like teach at length all these practices because that's a whole different message series, but here's what I want you to do this week, all right? I want you to get your Bibles out. And if you do not have one, go to the lobby after uh, the service is over. Connection desk will give you a free one, all right? But get your Bibles out this week. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And Apostle Paul, he writes in Ephesians chapter 6 about things God has given us so that we can prevent ourselves from slipping into impurity. Here's some of the things he mentions. He talks about reading the Bible, right, getting in the Word, letting the truth found in this book change you, transform you. He talks about praying, and not just praying for you, but praying for other people in your life, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Amazing things happen when you pray for people other than yourself. You know that, right? When you get your attention and your focus off of you and you think about others first, God has a way of using that mindset to, in the end, change you. He talks about waking up each day and reminding yourself of what Jesus has done for you in laying down his life for your sins. He talks about reminding yourself of who you are as a child of God. He talks about believing God and trusting in God. All of these practices that if you will actually do them, 
will help to prevent you from slipping into a lifestyle of impurity and sinfulness. And listen to me. Do you know what God does when you put into practice those things that I just mentioned? Here's what he does. He works on your heart. When you pray and get in the word and pray for others and spend time meditating on who he is and what he's done for you, God continues to create in you a heart that longs for Jesus, that's devoted to Jesus, that loves Jesus and wants to make Jesus known in this world. And the more God does those things inside of us, the more our outward behavior starts to reflect his purifying our hearts. Now, the other side of practical purity, it's prescriptive, right? Um, You go to the doctor, you get a prescription It's to deal with something that you already have, right? Um, Part of practical purity is prescriptive. I want to be honest this morning and say I know none of us in the room are perfect. I know all of us are going to make mistakes. I know there are going to be times where we were working on the roof and we hit our hand with the hammer and we let one fly, right? None of us are perfect. We're all going to slip up. We're all going to fall at times. Um, Part of practical purity means, though, knowing how to deal with sinfulness and impurity when we find ourselves in the middle of it. I love this verse from 1 John 1, 9. It tells us exactly what to do when we slip into sin and impurity. Here's what the Bible says. If we'll confess our sins, he, speaking of God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This verse is such great news, right? John tells us, If you sin, if you mess up, what you need to do, the prescription for that is you go to God and you confess what you've done to him. You be honest. You agree with him that it's sin. And then God is going to meet you where you are. He's going to be faithful to you. And then he's going to forgive you and he's going to cleanse you and make your heart more pure than it was before. I mean, how stinking amazing is that? And when you sin, listen, I know the default. When we sin, we mess up. Our default is I got to run, I got to hide, I got to cover it up, I got to try and do better before I go back to God. But God's going, no, 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 you come to me jacked up in your sin. You tell me what you've done, agree with me. I'll be faithful, I'll be just, I'll be loving, and I'll make you more pure than you were before. That's what we do. That's how we deal with sin and impurity in our life. Now, let's tie in the happiness piece, right? Like, this is a series on happiness. Let's tie in the happiness piece. The reason people who are pure in heart can be happy and joyful and content in this life here on the earth, it's all because of the promise that Jesus shares with us. Do you remember the promise? Here's the promise. He says, blessed, which that word simply means happy. Happy are those people who are pure in heart, single-minded in their devotion to God. Why? Because those people are going to see God. Those are the people who are going to see God. That should leave us happy, joy, contented. Um, Two parts to this promise. One is present. Um, It it means that when Jesus makes us positionally pure before God, when we accept him as our Savior and we put into practice certain things that, that allows God to work on the inside of us, here's what happens. We start to experience God in brand new ways. We start to see God with our spiritual eye at work in the world all around us. Here's a great test for you. Do you want to know if you're a believer in the house, if you're a person who says, I know Jesus, if you want to know if you're living with a pure heart each day, here's a great test for you. Are you experiencing God? Like, do you wake up each day and live your life and see God at work and recognize him and feel his presence? 
If not, I would say there's probably something going on with your heart. Because people who are pursuing purity, those people see God, experience God, look for God, and recognize Him at work all around them on a daily basis. Those are people that see God, and when you see God, that leaves you happy. I'm part of this promise, so it's future, right? Listen, this is insane. You have a pure heart, positionally before God because of Jesus, and you live your life each day proving that's true about you through behavior and lifestyle change that God's pulling off on your behalf. Listen to me. There's coming a day where you are going to see God, the God of the universe, the God who spoke all of this into being. You're going you're to see him. I don't know how that makes you feel this morning. Like, that's an overwhelming thought for me, that one day I'm going to stand face to face with God. Insane. Like, I have people ask me about my tattoo on my arm all the time, and I'm not going to explain it in detail. All I'll tell you is this. I got this a few years ago um, after God was working on my heart and my life over some things. Read 1 John 1, 3, took a trip to Africa, and God just overwhelmed me with the thought of, I'm going to see him one day. Well, in Western Africa, this is a symbol that's posted all around reminding the people they're going to see God one day. Their lives on this earth are going to be over, and they don't know when that day's coming, but when it comes, they're going to see him, and that they need to spend their lives while they're here on the earth living for things that actually matter. So it's just a reminder for me that I'm going to see him, and I don't know when that day's coming, but I want to be ready for that day. And so, man, I just want to think about it all the time. I'm going to see him, I'm going to see him, I'm going to see him, and I want to live my life in a way that prepares me for the moment that I see him, even if that moment happened today. If you're not pursuing purity, you don't live with that kind of joy over seeing God. It's a fearful thought for you. When you wake up every day, though, and you're pursuing Jesus and living a life that matters and counts here on the earth, and God is at work in you and through you and all around you, you cannot wait to see him. And it gives you so much joy in life. So church, look at me. Let me ask you again. How is your heart? What's going on inside of you. Only God can answer that question. Only you can answer that question. Here's what I want to say. If you don't know Jesus, that's where you got to start. You got to accept him today as your savior. Don't put that off so that you can start living a life that God has for you. Um, if you're here and you say you know Jesus and you would say your heart's not good, um, there's only two things that can be true of you right now. One, that you're just living in disobedience to God. And your first step is that prescriptive part of purity where you come to God and you confess and you ask him to forgive and cleanse and he'll be faithful and he'll do that for you. Uh, the only other possibility is that you're here this morning and you say you know Jesus because you're doing a lot of external things that look good, but on the inside, man, your heart's never been changed. You, you say you know him, but you don't really know him. But you think you know him because you come to church and you give and you serve those things don't mean you know God. Pure heart means you know God. And if you don't know him today, I just want you to wrestle with that and ask that question. Put your faith in him if you need to make that decision. I just want to ask you all over the room to just bow your heads. Close your eyes with me. I want to ask God, all of us today, to work on our hearts Great King David, Psalm 5110, prayed that prayer. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And I just want us this morning, wherever we are, man, if we know that our hearts are far from God, to pray that prayer. 
and ask God to do something for us that only he can do. Father, I just want to pray for people in the room right now, God, who know that they don't know you. They've never given you their lives. They've never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. They're searching for happiness and purpose and joy and satisfaction in so many places and things in life, God, but they haven't looked to you. My prayer this morning, God, is that you show them that right now in this moment. Impress upon their hearts. Show them, God, that they desperately need you. God, and I pray that you give them the faith that they need. God, to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're that person in the room this morning who's never made that decision to trust Jesus, I just want to invite you right now in your seat just quietly to pray something like this to God. Just say, God, I know I'm here. I know I have a bad heart. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short of being the person, God, that you created me to be. But God, I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus can make me a new person and give me eternal life with you, God. And so I'm reaching out this morning and I'm asking for that gift of salvation, of forgiveness, of new life and eternal life. God, give me a pure heart. you prayed that or something like it. God promises he'll change you, he'll transform you right now. He's already working on you to make you a new person. Your heart's new. He's removed your sin as far from the east is to the west from you. Right now, God sees you as a pure, sinless person. And you never have to question eternity again. It's, it's yours. His kingdom is yours. Heaven is yours. God, I pray for the person in the room, the people in the room who do know you, but God, who have strayed, who are struggling, who have slipped into sinfulness and impurity. God, give them the faith they need to call on you, to confess their sin to you. God, and would you keep your promise today? Meet them where they are. Forgive them, cleanse them, purify them, remind them, God, of your acceptance and love for them. God, I pray for the person in the room this morning who thinks that they know you, but they don't really know you. Show them that. Give them the faith necessary, God, to put aside all external actions all the reasons they think they have for believing, God, that your kingdom is theirs, God. Give them faith and humility today so that they can truly give you their hearts. Father, we just need you to work in this place. God, you know us completely better than we know ourselves. And so, God, we are praying and trusting, God, that you will do whatever is needed on our behalf to change the inward parts of us so that the outward parts of us will follow. I just want us to keep our heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. We're going to close today by taking communion together as a church family, and our host team will come and lead us in that in a few moments.
always reminded though when we do this that this is a huge deal. We take communion to remember Jesus, to honor Him, to honor what He's done for us in giving His life for our sins. And when we take communion, we are taking a stand and making a statement that our lives will serve to honor Jesus in all we do. So I want to make sure that we take communion in a worthy manner today. I want to give you a few more moments just to confess sin in your life, to ask God to work on your heart before we take this. Whatever it is you need to make right with God this morning, I want to invite you to do it now. You spend this time with Him.